Oh, we've got so much to cover today. We're going to take the rest of uh, picking right back up where we left off. You know, we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, right? So book by book. So we're picking right back up where we left off. So if you were not here last week, we're picking back up in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 7, and we will finish, Lord willing, the goal is to, in the next three hours, finish from verses 7 through 19. For you new people, that was a joke. I always say that joke, but sometimes it feels like it's real. It really does. Not for me, for you, but not for me. <clears throat> but anyway, let's pray, Father, before I get off on a tangent. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us here to not only worship you in song, to soften our hearts, open our minds, our ears, to hear what you have for us today through your word. You speak to us, God, through your word. And we want to so desperately hear your voice speak to our hearts. May we not, as we will be studying today, have hard hearts today, Lord. I pray through the time of worshiping you in song, it has softened our hearts, opened up our ears, and our softened hearts to receive what we have. Be it so wonderfully sweet, or for some it may be a surgical procedure going to be cutting through some of that hardness. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray each and every person today would not grieve your spirit, but allow your Holy Spirit to speak to their hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. This chapter 3 of the book of Hebrews gives us, now here in our verses 7 through 19, the second warning or danger warning sign of the five in this epistle. If you remember and you've been with us through the book of Hebrews, we saw the very first warning, the warning of drifting away from God's word. We saw that in Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. And the writer of Hebrews pointed out the danger of drifting from the word of God, not because of being rejected, but of the fact you have neglected your salvation. You have neglected what God has done in your life and you've been regenerated, you're saved. You have eternal hope and you've neglected that truth and now are drifting away back into your fleshly ways or back into the world. And that was a warning to us in chapter 2. Here in chapter 3, we see our second warning that God has for us and we see that this Warning is explaining the danger of having a hardened heart. The resulting from doubt or disbelief or unbelief in the word of God and what God has to say to us. You can get to a point where you look at the word of God we call the Bible and as he speaks to your heart you can doubt it or even worse not only doubt it you will actually not believe it any longer. You've been saved, praise the Lord. Now you must mature and you must grow in your knowledge and understanding of who God is to you. Your Savior of the world has come to save you. Because why? Because He loves you. And one of those simple unbeliefs is that you find yourself now giving your life to Christ, but some situation or some scenarios or something of the past you're holding on to or something in the present moment and you find yourself in a crisis in your moment today or you're fearful of the future 
And either one of those things bring you back to an unbelief statement that says, I don't think God loves me. But that's not true. The Lord loves you. He died for you. To set you free from the bondage of the sin in your life. That doesn't change, my brother and sister. Once you've surrendered your life and asked for for the forgiveness of your sins, you've been saved who call upon his name, Jesus. And the situations and the things that you may or may not get in your way in your life from that point forward, you must trust a sovereign God. You must trust a God who's in control, even when you don't feel it or even can't think how this could be. But doubt and disbelief can creep in and cause a hardening of the heart toward the things of God. It's important to understand the background of this section that we're going to cover because the writer here in Hebrews brings it to life for us, which is the exodus of Israel out of Egypt and bringing them through the experience of the wilderness walking for 40 years. And they were walking in the wilderness for 40 years because of why? Because of unbelief. And that is why they were walking and the whole generation that came out of Egypt never made it into the promised land because of unbelief. The nation's bondage in Egypt is an illustration for you and I today as a sinner's bondage in this world. And as Israel was delivered from Egypt by the blood of the Lamb, by the power of God, so you and I as a sinner who believes on Christ as our Savior is delivered from the bondage of sin. We see that highlighted also in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God whose death and resurrection has made a way for you and I for us to be delivered from the reality of sin that was in our life. Anyone here can be set free as a sinner. Why? Because God came and died on the cross for all of us. The question is, is will you be willing to surrender your life and put your trust in Jesus for your life? To be set free from sin based on what he's done on the cross for you. Are you willing to do that? That's the question. Are you willing to turn your whole life over to him as your savior? Just calling out his name. Recognizing you're a sinner that needs to be saved. And that only he can save you. There is no other way. Calvary Chapel is not going to save you. I can't save you. The one who loves you the most, who's been pouring into your life and praying for you, cannot save you. Only Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, God in the flesh, can save you. And the Holy Spirit, God himself, will reveal himself to you. And my prayer right now, if you are online or here sitting and you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, I pray as we go through the word today that the Spirit of God will touch your heart in such a way and clearly communicate to you that you cannot deny the fact that he's speaking to you of his love for you. And that you would give your life to Jesus Christ. 
And yes, I'll baptize you next week. Come on back. So as we take a look at this message, and we see that God has brought his people out of bondage, out of Egypt, and bringing them through, it was to be a quick journey to go right into the promised land we call Israel today. It was supposed to be a quick journey across. Yes, an amazing story of how God's provision for his people. Now, keep in mind, we're talking the largest migration of immigration ever happened in the world to known today. Two to three million people immigrated into a country that was not ready and prepared for them. To bring them out of Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land that we call Israel today. Largest migration ever of immigrants. And God took care of them for 40 years through this all and into the promised land. Thousands and thousands and thousands of tons of angel food came down from the heavens every day for six days a week to feed the people. A rock that provided tons and tons and tons of water in the desert. And as the rock followed them through the, the wilderness. Miraculous things that God had did. Pillar by night of, 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 a, of, of, of a fire to provide protection for the people and to keep things lit. And a, and a pillar of, of, of clouds to keep them shaded throughout the desert suns. They had to fight war after war after war all the way through the enemies, through this wilderness time. And God made sure they were protected and won all of those wars. It goes on and on and on if you've studied the scriptures. But when they got to the border to cross into the promised land, what happened? Twelve spies were sent in to look at the land. And when they came back, what took place? Ten spies and the people said, had unbelief. They said, there's no way we can take those giants that live in the land. We can't do it. There's no possible way. Why? Because they were leaning on their own understanding and not understanding God's ways. Did he just not bring them out of Egypt? Did they not part the Red Sea and swallow up... Pharaoh and his entire army is still floating in the Red Sea and they think that God can't take care of the giants in the new land. It's no different than us, is it not? God has brought you through crisis after crisis after crisis and unknown, unknowns, unknowns and is still bringing you through of all of his provisions and still tomorrow we're going to sit there and say, oh, oh, me, by me, do you see what happened to the car? Oh, we're never going to make it. Hello, it's just a car. God will provide. Oh, the electricity went out. Oh, we're not. Do you not think that God cannot fix that problem for you? Oh, I got the sniffles. Life is ending here. Do you not think that God is going to heal you? Do you have faith to believe that God has healed you? How many times? You're 60, 70, 80? Maybe just 20s? How many times has he healed you? And now you don't think he's going to heal you this time. We need to have the belief that God's will and sovereignty is in control of our lives as a child of God. Now, as a non-believer, you don't have that. 
You don't have all those promises that we have in the scripture. You're living by, by you're hanging on your fingertips trying to hang on and figure out life. But as a believer, we don't hang on by our fingertips and, and shudder and shake if God's going to take care of us. We're a child of God. We have those promises. A non-believer, they're, they're at the whims of the world and their flesh. And, they're going to contr- and the flesh will control them. The world will control them. Satan and the demonic forces will control them. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be if you give your life to Jesus Christ. Then you become a child and then you have the protection. Nothing touches your life unless it's been father filtered first as a child of God. Nothing. And what a beautiful thing it is. But you know the story. Ten spies came back said, absolutely cannot handle that. We're not going in. We want to go back into bondage. We want to go back to the Egypt and let the government take care of us. Two Joshua and Caleb said, absolutely not. God is with us. He will take care of these giants. He will give us the promise of milk and honey. He is going to bring us to rest in the promised land that he promised us and his people. We know he's going to take care of this. And because of the unbelief of the people and the ten spies, God said, as we will see in the scripture, they never made it into the promised land, that generation. It was 40 years of the new generation that was allowed to go in. And it was that new generation that possessed the land and entered into the rest that Joshua and Caleb knew the promise of God that would happen. They had to take a step of faith, though. We see that in Joshua chapter 1, verse 3. They had to claim the land for themselves just as believers today. You must claim the fact that you're saved and God is in control. And that God is going to give you rest in his presence. And Israel had to cross the river by faith. It's a picture of the believer having, as he dies to self in the world, Romans 6, that we claim our spiritual inheritance by faith in Christ alone, and it represents our entry into Canaan, that promised land that God has for us. Now, we can understand what the wilderness wanderings represents. That's easy for us. It represents the experiences believers who will not completely surrender and submit to Jesus Christ's lordship and claim their spiritual inheritance in Christ. Yes, you're saved. You're out of Egypt. You've been saved. You've been cleansed. All your sins have been forgiven. Praise the Lord. But majority of, I find in the presence of Christians, they do not move forward from being saved. They do not experience the full rest in Christ. Because they're constantly trying to work their way to please God. Or they're trying to go through the the religious rituals to prove that they are a child of God. No, that is not how it works. We rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You're saved. Now he wants you to walk into his presence and follow him and allow him to give you the inheritance that you have as a child of God. And with that comes peace. It comes rest in him. You don't have to work, 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 work this religious thing to find it because you'll never will. 
It's finished, my brothers and sisters. Now enjoy the presence of God. Enjoy the journey as, he, as you follow him. He will guide your life and he will provide and he will guide and he will fulfill your life as he, he says he will. Right into heaven. Eventually into eternity. Now, with that opener, I'm going to have you turn to Psalm 95 real quick. I know you all have your Bibles. Open them up to the Old Testament. Keep your finger in Hebrews, but go to Psalm 95. Why? Because in verses 7, uh, 7 through um, 11 or so, these verses are from the end of Psalm 95. And I want you to read Psalm 95, the first six verses, because they go together. This psalm is written a thousand years after the wilderness experience for Israel. Hebrews is a thousand years, written a thousand years after the psalm was written. Now today, we're going to read this because it applies to us today 2,000 years after Hebrews was written. Amazing, isn't it? And it applies to us today. Watch, watch, watch this. It's, it, Psalm 95 is a call to worship and obedience. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Now, switch back to Hebrews. And we will now cover the verses here. We see here in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7 through 11... We see Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. Look at this. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, underline that, make a note, very important, today, today, if you will hear his voice. I could talk for the next 40, next 30 minutes, just on that verse alone, my brothers and sisters. Because that verse is so critical. Why? But look at here. The Holy Spirit says, God himself says these words in the Old Testament in Psalm 95. Many people think the Holy Spirit didn't come on the scene until Pentecost in the New Testament. But that's not true. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit has always existed. It's one God in three persons. And we see clearly that the Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit is speaking here in Psalm 95. What is he saying? 
The Spirit of God is speaking through his word of God, as we have in front of us, told us that Jesus the Messiah is much greater than Moses. Much greater than the angels, as we studied in the first part of, of chapters 1, 2, first part of 3. But through truth should lead someone to action. It should understand, once you understand who you should be worshiping, understand who made the heavens and the earth, who loves you and created you in your mother's womb. Once you come to that knowledge of truth, you should be worshiping God Almighty. Now the writer of the Hebrews is encouraging these actions because he says the Spirit of the Holy Spirit says today. We see today noted three times in our verses today. Today. It's a call to action. Do not procrastinate. Don't think you have for tomorrow because you have no guarantee for tomorrow. You have no guarantee of once you leave this building what will happen to you. That's a fallacy, because you do have no control. God does. But today, the Spirit of God speaks to you and I, and spoke to them back in the Hebrews, and spoke back a thousand years prior to that, when the Psalm of 95 was written down by the Spirit of God through the life of David, I believe. And two things we see here. Two things, at least, that are important for us to remember today. And is when we think about the fact that the author of the Hebrews that's written this here says in the psalm that was written by the Holy Spirit, the first is to remind us that the Holy Spirit was very active in the Old Testament. This power of God, that's who the Holy Spirit is. The power of God is working through men and women to do His, His will. Because these are men and women who are giving their lives over. They're flexible, bendable to do what the will of God is. They don't have hard hearts. If you have a hardened heart and you don't want, and you're starting to push back the things of God, and you have a hardened heart, you are not going to be moldable and flexible to do the will of God in your life. And many times I find in a Christian life, they limit to what God wants to really want to do in their life. God has these claims and promises to take them and lift them on high, and they're wanting to settle for just mediocre, mediocrity. And God wants to do incredible things through your life, if you let him. But the fact of the matter, it is not only the Hebrews that talk about the fact the Holy Spirit did this, even Paul and Peter in the New Testament tells us that the Holy Spirit was active in the voice of the prophets. In the scriptures of the Old Testament. In other words, the same Holy Spirit inspired the apostles in the New Testament. Where the same Holy Spirit, God himself, inspiring the prophets to do the work that God called them to do. And today, the same Holy Spirit works and lives inside you as a believer and does the same work if you let him. If you're not grieving the Holy Spirit and allowing your heart to harden. Today is a very key word here because it talks about the urgency to the voice of the Holy Spirit when he speaks to you today. He never prompts to get right to God tomorrow. 
He never says, let's get right tomorrow. Never. He never even says, trust in yesterday. He says, you live day by day. You must trust him and you must live for him today. That's what the, the, the writer is saying here. That's what the Holy Spirit is telling you and I. We don't have the promise of tomorrow. You must live for him today. And you cannot live on past history of what you did for God a year ago or six months ago or a month ago or yesterday. He says, what do you do? What are you doing? How are you worshiping me today? Is your heart soft enough to do what I want you to do for me today? And it's a genuine invitation that God is saying to you and I today. Because verse 8 says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness. You can get to a point in those who, who were followed Moses were responsible to surrender to Moses' leadership. They were to trust and submit to his leadership. They were to persevere through following this God's leader, Moses. But how much more are we to follow our leader, Jesus Christ, our Savior, in a surrendered, submissive, trusting, persevering in that relationship? Do you not know the term, harden your hearts? It was a term that was used in Pharaoh's life, if you remember. God kept used to, Moses, word from the Lord, word from God, go tell Pharaoh this. And every time he was, Moses went in obedience and told Pharaoh what God said, what happened? He kept hardening his heart every time he heard the word of God. Do you know that can happen to you and I, even as a believer, if you're not on track and you've allowed sin to come into your life again, or allowed this coldness or drifting started happening? A hardening of the heart is what is being warned for you and I. And an exhortation, an encouragement. Don't let that happen. It can happen in such subtle, simple ways that you are going to be deceived, as we will see in the scripture. You don't even think that attitude would cause a hardening of heart, and it does. Oh, how many times we think, well, I'm not in any blatant open sin. I'm not out there sleeping with my girlfriend. I'm not over there uh, stealing and murdering and all these kinds of things. No, that, 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 yes, those are things are going to cause you, if you're a Christian, it will cause you to harden your heart. You've just been deceived of the lie that it's no big deal. Now, if you're a non-believer and you're doing it, you're just living by the flesh. You don't know any better. You don't know that it's destroying your life. But let me tell you today, if you're cheating and stealing and robbing and sleeping around and, and not in, you're killing yourself and you don't even know it. Why? Because the world does those things. So you're just doing what the world and what feels good. But let me tell you today what the God says. If you want to be saved from your fleshly controls or from the worldly controls or demonic controls, 
There's only one way to be saved, and that is to turn your life over to Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a Christian, and this is, what we're t- this is who the Hebrew writer is writing to is Christians. He's not writing to non-believers. He's writing to believers here. He says, be very careful that you do not allow something into your life that will cause you to harden your heart against the things of God and the people of God. Why? Because he says hardening your hearts is you will find you'll become rebellious to the word of God. You'll become rebellious of being around God's people. And it will do the day of trial. You will find yourself not in rest with the Lord, not in the promises that God wants to pour out onto you, but you will find yourself as a Christian wandering in this Christian wilderness And you will never experience the joy and the peace that God has for you. You will never experience the promises and the fulfillment of your life as a Christian because you've grieved the Holy Spirit by hardening your heart. And that is a warning for you and I. It can happen to any of us. Any of us. If you take your eyes off of Jesus and put it on yourself or this world. But the point is clear. As the Holy Spirit speaks, we must hear his voice and not allow our hearts to become hardened. We hear the Spirit speak through the scriptures. So what is what happens with one of the first indications of a hardening of a heart? You stop reading the word. You will, I don't have a desire or an appetite to read the word. You've drifted and you're hardening of your heart. But I go to church every Sunday. That doesn't save you. It should encourage you to get back in the word and to hear the word. Yes, please keep coming. But be very careful when you don't have a desire outside of someone teaching you the word that you don't have a desire to hear from God throughout the week. Not a good indication. Because it's through the scripture that he speaks to us and it's in the heart of his people and he draws us to him. Now how could you harden your heart? Well, first of all, some harden their hearts by relapsing back into their old indifference. I can take going to church, no big deal. I can read the word or not, it's no big deal to me. I can get around God's people, I don't need to be around God's people. I can go and worship myself, all by myself, in my room, How many times have I heard, let me just tell you, you've been deceived if that was you, if you heard me say something you've said. You've been deceived. Because God didn't design you to just worship by yourself. He called you to fellowship. Do not forsake the fellowship of other believers. And we're going to see why here in this part of the scripture, because there's an exhortation for you and I. So yes, some will go back to the old indifference that will harden your heart. Some will have sharp unbelief that God doesn't love you, that God's not really going to take care of you, God is not going to be there for you. All these unbeliefs start creeping back in. Yes, that can cause you to harden of heart. Some have been chasing experiences. I've been chasing worship music from place to place. Or I'm chasing miracles from place to place. I'm chasing, chasing signs and programs from place to place to place. And that will cause a hardening of heart because you're not looking to worship Jesus. You're not looking to grow and mature in your relationship. You're looking for some 
programs of this world that some church came up with for you to somehow meet some feeling or experience you're looking for. That's just going to cause you hardening harden your heart. Or some harden their hearts by taking advantage of the mercy of God. Oh, that's a lot of Christians' favorites. Oh, the mercy of God, the grace of God. Let me go sin because I have the mercy of God, the grace of God. I can continue to sin. Oh, the mercy of God, the grace. You're hardening your heart because you're grieving the Spirit. And you've been deceived and don't even know it. You've become rebellious, just like those in Meribah. Meribah in, in, he, uh, in Numbers chapter 20 speaks of the Israel's becoming unbelief and becoming hardening and rebellious toward the things of God in the wilderness. That's why they were wandering. God did not accept their unbelief and condemned that generation of unbelief to die in the wilderness. We see that in Numbers 14. Now keep in mind... Why did he have to do that? Look at verse 9. Where your fathers tested me. This is God himself saying this. Your fathers in the wilderness tested me. They tried me. They saw my works for 40 years and they still had unbelief that God could take care of your life and their life. And it's because of their unbelief the people of Israel faced judgment which culminated after 40 years. The warning in the Hebrews was written about 40 years after the Jews initially rejected rejection of Jesus. What happened about that time in, in, in Jerusalem? God allowed the Romans to come in and conquer Jerusalem and, and took down the temple block by block just like Jesus warned would happen. Verse 10, Therefore I was angry with the generation, God said. They always go astray in their hearts. They, all, they have not known my ways. I, so I swore my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. God's anger was kindled, was flamed up for that generation because of unbelief. Remember, the heart of every problem is a problem in the heart. Do you want me to say that again for you? The heart of every problem is, in, is a problem in, of the heart. So examine your heart. If you have a problem and you're struggling with something, check your heart because you have a problem with your heart. It's hardened. It's not God's fault. It is not your parents' fault. It's not your spouse's fault. It is not anyone else you think you can blame who's closest to you. Check your heart. You have a problem. How hard is it? Well, we see here God knew the heart of these, this generation of Israel. And the people of Israel erred in their heart, which means their hearts wandered from God and his word and was so hard they had to never experience the fullness of what God wanted to do with them. That doesn't mean they're not going to heaven. It means that they did not experience the fullness of what God wanted to do in their life in the present day. 
today. Why? Because they'd never known my ways, he says. They knew who of me. Even Satan knows who Jesus is. But that doesn't save you. But once you get saved, that doesn't mean you fully understand who your Savior is and your Heavenly Father. You need to grow and mature through the reading and understanding of the Word of God. As the Spirit moves, He was going to mature you, and then you will fulfill, or God will fulfill the inheritance in Christ and the promises that He has for your life. Because when He created you in your mother's womb, He has a plan for your life. Did you know that? When you got saved and you turned your life over, he gave you spiritual gifts to do for his people and to reach the lost. Did you know that? But most Christians do not even know what their spiritual gifts are and are not even exercising and doing anything for God. And they're missing out on all the inheritance of Christ and the promises that God has for them. I wanted to... Exhortation means a special encouragement to, to encourage you and to, to oh, I'd love to push you, but I can't. I just want to say, Jesus is going this direction. Follow. Follow him. And all those who love him, follow them. Because you're going to experience the blessing. Once you've experienced the coming into the promised land and the blessings of God coming, stay under the spout and let the, the living water flow over you every day, constantly flowing. And the peace of God will just be overwhelming for you. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. And you'll become a worshiper of God waiting with great anticipation for his return for you. Verses 12. The writer says, beware, brethren. So you know we're talking to believers here, brothers, sisters. Beware, brothers and sisters here. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. What does that mean? It doesn't mean you're walking away from salvation. You can't do that. Once you're saved, you're saved, you're regenerated, you're changed. The Spirit of God has sealed you for eternity. But that doesn't stop you and I from here's God in His presence and you sit there and you say, I don't want to do that. For God says I should do that. But you take a step back and no, I don't want to get that close. I need you to go right. Uh, you know, let me think about it before I make that decision. He clearly spoke to you through the word of God, but you're constantly taking a step back or step aside and not being direct. I'm close enough and that's good enough for me. No, what will happen, he says, beware if any of that, that is an evil heart of unbelief when you depart from the living God. How many times have you heard this been taught? Is this your favorite verse? That's my favorite verse, I'm sure, for not many people. But that's why we do verse by verse, because the whole counsel of God is important to us. This is, these are not easy verses to teach, my brothers and sisters. But I have to give you the warning, because I've watched it in so many lives who start well, but they don't finish well. 
They start well. And then they stepped away from the living God. They stopped, unbelief started creeping in. And they just became drifting, hard-hearted, unbelieving, and they're gone. Doesn't mean they're not saved. Doesn't mean I won't see them in heaven. It means they're no longer in the promises of God. And it's the most grieving thing as a pastor to see someone go through those stages. Even after you've warned them and warned them and warned them, God brought, it didn't happen. Verse 13, but exhort one another. And this is why the fellowship as we fellowship together in church is so critical here and when you get together with brothers and sisters outside of here, why this is so critical. He says, but exhort one another daily while it is called what? Today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 14, for we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said, today you will hear, the vo- hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So when we take a look at this verse, he wants you, in the time we gather together, to do encouraging things to encourage people in their faith. Brother, I'm praying for you. I've been praying diligently through this week for you. I know you had a challenge at work. I know you shared that. And I've been praying for you. And I've had five or six more guys praying for you. I want you to know God is in control. I send the text. I'm praying for you. I'm letting you know. And I wouldn't send you the text if I wasn't praying for you. And I want to encourage you, exhort you to continue to keep your eyes on Jesus because that is who is going to bring you through this next challenge. And I may not even know the challenge. God just puts it on my heart to send you the text. I I truly, I I really love face-to-face. That is what God wants. But this, this, this apparatus gives me an opportunity to communicate as well called text. It's not my Facebook, but yes, Facebook can happen and work too. Can you imagine if we filled our social media with encouraging words to one another? And how, how I fall so short being one of those individuals being the most encouraging to every single person. I wish... That is a work that God has to do in my life. I think about it all the time. I think of all kinds of things of praying for people, but I don't communicate that out. And and the scripture tells us we must exhort one another daily. Don't do it just in your head. You must say it to the person. Encourage them. That's why we fellowship. And if you isolate yourself away, how can you be exhorted or how can God use you to exhort someone else, encourage someone else, if you're not around? God says we must cut together today. There's an urgency. You could also use the word when there's opportunity. Today can be like there's opportunity. You're not going to be able to go around and say, okay, I... I did I exhort you? Did I exhort you? Did I encourage you? Did I encourage you? And get it. that's not how it works. As God leads and gives opportunity today. Can you be an encourager? Not be critical. 
not be grumbling and complaining about every little detail of why things are not exactly the way you want them. You have to grow and mature and move on from that and be an encourager to one another. That's what the scripture's saying. Why? Because lest you be hardened, your heart becomes hardened because of deceitfulness of sin. See, unbelief is not an inability to understand. It's an unwillingness to trust. It is the will, your will. Will you follow Jesus or will you not? It's not about intelligence. Oh, if I get more information, I probably can make a logical decision. It's not how it works, my brothers and sisters. One can truly believe God, yet be so troubled by doubts in their life. But unbelief isn't weakness of faith. Oh, if my faith was stronger, I wouldn't have this unbelief. That's not true. Your unbelief is going complete opposition to faith. You're literally going against the faith. When an unbeliever says, I cannot believe this, what you really should honestly say is, I will not believe this. That's what it really means. Oh, I don't know if I can believe this or not. You know, it's not for me. You know, it's your heart is saying something nice and soft and pliable, like you can scoot around. No, no, let me tell you, I'm, a, I'm pretty flat out bold if you've been around me long enough. I don't sugarcoat things. Let me tell you what it really means. Your heart is hard, and you're saying, I will not believe. That's what it means. Now, some other preacher may say, oh, your God loves you, and he'll, let you get, he'll help you in your non-belief. No, 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 I'm, I'm going to tell you what the truth says. You need to surrender your life to this hardness of heart because you're so stubborn and stiff-necked. That's what it means, my brothers and sisters. But today, just surrender all. God is speaking to you. Just come back. Surrender all. And watch God meet you right there. Now, some will say, well, I think people are being very judgmental when they come to exhort or encourage me. And Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, says you can't be taking that log that's in your eye and looking for the specks in everyone else's eye. Well, let me bring clarity for you. (laughs) Oh, bring clarity. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 5, if you have sin in your, in your life, a log that's sticking out your eye, a critical spirit, a hardness of heart, sin some, of some type, and someone who's in sin always can easily pick out the same sin in someone else's life. Did you know that? So there you are with a big old log, and people will say, because you have a log, you can't say anything to me about what's going on in my life not what the scripture says scripture says it has order 
You, before you exhort or tell someone or encourage someone, brother, you're living in sin. You need to stop sleeping with her. It's going to cause death, physical, probably, and spiritual death. You've got to stop it for this. I love you. i got to tell you the truth, what God says. And you're sitting there sleeping around yourself, and they know it because they know your life. Be very careful. The scripture says, get rid of the log, that sin in your life. And once that's out, you've repented and you walked away from that. And you've experienced the peace of God now because you're in his will. The scripture says, now you can go and encourage your brother or sister in that sin, that speck in their eye, that God is, can free them as well from that sin. It's an order issue. That doesn't mean you don't get to help someone or encourage someone when you know they're in sin and what the scripture says. Just make sure that you're not in it, that your life is right with God before you do it. That's what that scripture means. I'll say something. Charles Spurgeon says something very clearly here. He says, be upon the watch lest any of your brethren in the church should gradually backslide. Or lest any of the congregation should harden into a condition of settled unbelief and perish in their sin. He who bids you take heed to yourself would not have you settle down in a selfish care for yourself alone, lest you should become like Cain. Cain and Abel, you know the story? Cain, who even dared to say to the Lord himself, Am I my brother's keeper? Oh, please, my brothers and sisters. Don't look at someone's life and you see that brother living how you used to live and God is encouraging you to go and encourage him. There's a better way to live. Don't sit there and say, who am I, my brother's keeper? I'm not going to go address that with him in love. Oh, be very careful. God is encouraging you to lovingly come alongside and help that brother or that sister understand God's ways, just like he did to you. Lest you become hardened. You're going to miss out because you are the partakers of Christ. When you've given your life to Christ, you are partakers of Christ. What does that mean? You're partaking of some goodness of what is right and good. What are those things? Well, we're partakers of his obedience. We're partakers of his suffering. We're partakers of his death. We're partakers of his resurrection. We're partakers of his victory. We're partakers of his plan for, this, for eternity. Partakers of his power. Partakers of his ministry of intercession and, 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 and reaching other people. We're partakers of his work. We're partakers of his glory. We're partakers of his destiny. When you become a child of God, that is all yours. All of it. Oh, how many times do not let your heart harden your hearts. And how many times because people say, others made me harden my heart. Or other, these circumstances have caused me to have this hardened of heart. But let me tell you, it is not others. It's not the situations. It is your response to those situations 
that will determine if you are going to cause yourself to have a hardened heart. You have full responsibility. And we close here in verse 16 through 19. For who, having heard, rebelled indeed was in not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses. He's going to give us three questions with three answers here in this section. Verse 17. Now with whom was the he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpse, corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So as the nation of Israel started out well, had a good beginning. And after all, it took a lot of faith to pack up and watch God provide all of the resources as they even left Egypt. God even put on the hearts of the Egyptians to give them gold and silver and money, all the resources to take him into the desert. That's a miraculous thing. And then to follow two to three million of your neighbors, the nation of Israel, into a place where they're now faced, the Egyptian army is going to wipe you out, and God miraculously opens up the water and parts the Red Sea, and you walked across dry land, and then you watched all the corpse of the army of Egypt, the most powerful army, get wiped out and floating in the Red Sea. And this generation, this first generation, watched all the miracles that God did, and they still rebelled against God. Eleven times we're going to see, in, not only in chapter 3, but mostly chapter 4 next week, it gets a little lighter, the promise of rest. We're going to see this word rest mentioned so clearly and deeply detailed in the next chapter, chapter 4. I encourage you to come back because the key to entering into God's rest is in one word, belief. Many believe it's obedience. Why? Because of verse 18, right? Because of 18, you said, it says there that one might be tempted to think that obedience, if I'm just obedient to God, then that's going to give me the promises of God and I'm going to just live this, this beautiful Christ-filled life and walking in the spirit and truth. Oh, it's going to be, I just have to be obedient. No, it's not obedience. Notice the scripture. The fact that, but the disobedience mentioned in, in verse 18 is an outgrowth of unbelief mentioned in verse 19. The unbelief came first. And because of their unbelief, they've now become disobedient to the word of God. It was unbelief. Not the lack of faith. Or their lack of faith, I should call it. Their unbelief is the lack of faith in God. And not something else that kept them out of Canaan. It wasn't their grumbling and complaining that kept them out of Canaan. It wasn't their lack of evidence of God moving in their life that kept them out of the promises of God. It wasn't the lack of encouragement 
in their Christian walk that caused them to not be able to go into Canaan. It wasn't even the difficult situations and circumstances in their life that kept them from going into the promised land. It was purely their unbelief, their lack of faith, of untrust of what God promises in his word. And they could not enter. You know, God's plan for his nation was to take him out of bondage in Egypt, make it through the wilderness in very short days, and take him right into the promised land and be fulfilled the, all the promises of the land of milk and honey and live a joyful, secured life with God. But because of their unbelief, they, yes, they were saved. They were brought out of Egypt. But then now they wandered in the wilderness because they were not willing to take the step of faith into the promised land. My brothers and sisters, the topology, the typology is what it's a term used for the promised land that he's talking here, the land of Canaan, is not heaven. It, it means it is one of a spirit-filled life controlled by the Spirit of God. You, if you're a Christian today, if you don't have a Spirit-filled life, controlled life, that means your heart is hardened because you're not willing to take the step of faith and trust God in the situation that you're dealing with or situations. Past, current, or maybe it's fear of the future. Today, let you surrender it all to Jesus. Lay it at his feet. And let him reveal himself to you this day. And encourage you, exhort you by the word of God to take that step and move forward into the promised land of a spirit-filled life.